0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. All right, good to see all of you. In just a moment, I'm going to be reading from 1 John chapter 3. If you have your Bibles and want to turn to 1 John chapter 3 and read along with me. Before I get into the message, uh, I want to share with you a couple of things. Um, I know you know that uh, work is going on down at the new location. The steel is up. It's really getting exciting. Uh, We are tentatively looking to be in that building by Thanksgiving. Yes, we are. Yeah. Uh, Now, we got some work to do, of course. And once the construction company is through with what they're doing, we're going to have some physical work to do. We have some giving work to do now. Uh, and so we're moving on down the road. That's our capital campaign. We're trying to raise $500,000 um, before we go into the property, before we go into the new building. And it's going to take all of us making that happen. So hope you're praying about that. The other thing I want to mention to you is, we are, this, this next church year, beginning in August, we're going to try a different type of deacon ministry from what we have had uh, for probably the last two or three decades. Uh, at our church, those of you who've been around a good while, you know that we've had a deacon family ministry. And the way that works is that every year we take the number of active deacons, and usually that number is anywhere from 18 to 23, 24 deacons. And we take all of our church families and we divide up those church families according to those deacons that we have serving uh, actively in a given year. And each deacon is assigned a certain number of families. Usually it's around 15 to 18, although we try to make it uh, no more than 12. Um, and, and throughout the year, each deacon is assigned with the responsibility of contacting the families that, that, uh, that they have assigned to them periodically. We recommend that our deacons contact their families at least once a quarter, sometimes more. Uh, in addition to that contact, we urge our deacon body to be there for our church family if there's a hospital emergency or a hospital crisis, a surgery, if there's a loss of a loved one, or any other type crisis uh, for which we can minister, in which we can minister to our church family. Uh, On paper, that deacon family ministry works like a charm. In reality, it doesn't work very well at all. And the reason is, uh, most of our deacons, like most of you, uh, have full time jobs and they have full time families and and they 're working all day and then they 're at ball fields and cheerleading uh, rehearsals and band recitals and everything else you can think of during the evening and it 's very difficult to find the time to minister to our families the way that those families are supposed to be ministered to in a deacon family ministry uh, we have uh, estimated that uh, rather than 100% of our deacons being able to do the deacon family ministry the way that it should be done, we probably have about 30 to 40% of our guys who are really doing it and doing it well. Uh, in fact, uh, let, me just, let me just take this, this rough little poll among those of you who are members of our church. How many of you here who are members of our church, uh, you know who your deacon is? Right now, raise your hand if you know who your deacon is. OK, and uh, put your hand down. If you are a member of our church and you cannot think of who your deacon is, raise your hand. Raise your hand. OK, so that's good. The majority of folks uh, knew who their deacon was. And then uh, a lot of folks just didn't raise their hand because they're thinking deacon, deacon. what's the?" Um, how many of you uh, have been contacted by your deacon uh, in the last uh, six months? Raise your hand. Okay, how many of you who are members here have not been contacted by your deacon in the last six months? Raise your hand. Okay, so that's about 50-50. I don't know how you interpret those results. The way I interpret them is that it's not working. And so we want to come up with a better way for our church staff and our deacon body to minister more effectively to our church family. And so here's what we're going to try for a year beginning this August. We're going to replace the deacon family ministry altogether for a year. See if it'll work. And we're going to replace it with what we call a service deacon ministry. And the way the service deacon ministry works, we'll take the total number of deacons and divide them up into teams of five guys. And each week, we'll have a team of five guys who will serve as service ministry deacons. Now, right now, every Sunday morning, we have three service deacons. You, you may or may not know this, but we have three service deacons every Sunday morning. They, they uh, man the entrances, the exits to the church. Um, they also, during uh, Sunday school and during this hour, they're down in the preschool and children's wing, uh, providing security and a, 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 an adult presence down there so that our, our kids uh, have the best place to be that we can possibly provide them. So every, every week we have three of those. Well, in this new setup, we're going to have five guys every week they will still man the entrances they will still provide an adult presence in the children's wing but in addition to that on the on the week that begins that sunday that they serve those five guys will provide ministry for anyone in our church family who is in the hospital or uh, has a death in the family or who needs ministry in some way that we can provide so each team of 5 will be responsible for being on call to minister to our church family throughout that week, starting with the Sunday that they serve as a service deacon. And then after that week, they're off for a few weeks, and another team of five comes on. And the way it would work is uh, each team of five would have a a team captain. And each week, uh, if, if we hear of someone who's in the hospital or someone who has a ministry need, Uh, our church office, either Judy or myself, we will send out a notification to all five of those guys who are serving as service deacons that week. And the one team captain will then coordinate which of those five deacons will actually do what in, in terms of ministering to those families, okay? Now, the more guys who are eligible to be deacons who come on our active rotation, the more guys who are serving... The, the fewer times that each deacon will have to serve a given week. For instance, if we had 35 deacons to serve in a given year, then we'd have seven teams of five. So each deacon would serve on a, on a service ministry team one week out of every seven weeks. You see what I'm saying? Y'all with me? Hello? Everybody awake? I'm connecting here. Yes. Yes. OK. So what that means is uh, we need our guys to step up and be willing to serve on the active deacon body. Uh, I sent out an email this week, actually several emails to the guys. And if you are uh, eligible and qualified to be on our deacon body, I'm asking you to consider it. Now, here's what it means to be uh, eligible and qualified. Number one, you have to have been a member of our church for two years. Number two, uh, you uh, must be... Uh, a guy who's 21 years or older, and you must be an active uh, participant, actively supporting our worship services, our small groups, which is Bible studies, and you need to be actively supporting our church through faithful giving. Now, we don't, I, I don't know uh, I don't know from one person to the other who is tithing and who's not. So that's not to me. That's something that each of us would have to answer the Lord. For me, it means that a guy needs to be a faithful tither, giving at least a tithe to what the Lord is doing through our church. Okay, so 21 years or older, you attend worship faithfully, small groups faithfully, uh, actively supporting, but through financial giving and, and you love people. If that's you and you've been a member here two years or more. We need you. And if you're not ordained, uh, you know, we, we can have an ordination. But I uh, want you to be thinking and praying about that. I sent out the emails last week. We're going to be sending out that same uh, type letter uh, message in a letter, hard copy letter to folks uh, this coming week. It's something we're going to try, I think, and Irv Carter is our chair, David Grubbs is our vice chair. The three of us believe that this will be a far more effective way to minister to our church family without burning out our deacon body. And so please think about it. Be thinking about it. Uh, Maybe you've maybe you've been ordained at another church and you joined here and and, uh, we'd love to have you join our deacon body. Maybe you haven't been ordained yet, but you meet those qualifications and you'd like to be a part of this. We'd like for you to be. Okay. so be thinking about that. All right. Does Everybody understand what I'm saying? Everybody get that. All right. So I'm going to be expecting some yeses from some of you guys. See what I'm saying. First John, chapter three, title of this message is what love looks like. Beginning with verse 11. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and He knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His command, to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands... Lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. I love 1 John. It's uh, five chapters that are the easiest Greek of all the New Testament books. In fact, when we When when I was taking introductory Greek in seminary, 1 John is the the book they took us to because it was the easiest one to begin translation from Greek into English. It's a very simple Greek. I think John intended it that way. Not, Not only so it would be simple to read, but it would be simple to understand. He's writing to us, to believers, so that we would have a clearer understanding of what it means to be saved and what it means to live the Christian life. We can read 1 John and come away knowing what a Christian ought to look like, what a Christian ought to be like. In fact, he makes it so clear to us that in, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, he gives us the whole key to understanding everything that he says. He says in 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe, to save folks, in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So if you think you're saved, but you want to make sure that you know that you have eternal life, 1 John is a great place to start in your study to find out exactly where you are and where you stand before God. Recently, uh, I came across a series, uh, a documentary series on, uh, we have Netflix, and, and so I, I was streaming a documentary series on, on the Vietnam War. It's uh, put out by the History Channel. It's called Vietnam in HD. Have any of you seen that documentary? Anybody? Man, is that an incredible documentary or what? You know, I, I, I grew up, I was born in 1960. And so all of my childhood life, I'd watch Walter Cronkite or uh, the Huntley Brinkley Report on uh, national television. And, and always there was stories about what was happening in Vietnam. And it, and it got to the point where, for me, as a child, if we were watching the news, I just accepted uh, war hearing about war, as just something common. Uh, I I, I, I honestly didn't think that there would be a time when we weren't at war somewhere, which is pretty much turned out to be true. Yeah, okay. So, but I didn't understand the Vietnam War. I I, I had really, I had a lot of trouble with how we treated our soldiers who fought in that war when they came home. I, I didn't understand that. And I didn't understand why we were there. I didn't understand how it all ended and why it ended the way that it ended. And so, uh, for some reason, I'm, I'm interested in that with regard to that war. And so I watched this documentary, six one-hour uh, episodes, Vietnam and HD. One of the things that I found out about the Vietnam War that I really, in the back of my mind, I already knew, but it, it was kind of re-cemented in my thinking about that war, was that when our soldiers were in Vietnam, it was almost impossible to distinguish our enemies from our allies. I mean, our troops would be walking down this muddy clay road, and there would be jungles on both sides and all of a sudden, bullets would start whizzing by every one of them and, and you, they could look to the right and left, and all they could see was foliage they could not see the the enemy uh, all covered up in the foliage and Then, when they did go into a village and they saw farmers uh, and, and farmers and men and women who were farmers and their kids, and they had these little uh, fan-shaped pyramid uh, hats on. And they were working in their fields. And, and our soldiers got to the point where they had a hard time looking at these farmers and their families and saying, well, is this farmer a friend who's working alongside of us or is this farmer someone who smiles at us during the day and, and, and fires at us at night? Is this farmer a friend or a foe? Is this farmer an enemy or an ally? And it was impossible to know. And it made that war, along with some other reason, made that war uh, very difficult to fight. When you cannot distinguish your friends from your foes. It's very difficult. Uh, I think that in our day, one of the biggest challenges that people face in our world is, is the, the challenge of distinguishing Christians versus non-Christians. Unfortunately, I really believe that there is a, we, we would have a hard time out, out in the public arena just distinguishing, looking at people and listening to them and distinguishing who are Christians and who are not. And part of that reason is that there are some people who are not Christians who are actually some very good people and doing some good things. And we wonder, why are they Christians? On the other hand, there are some Christians who do not act like Christians outside of the sanctuary on Sunday morning. And so people look at us and they say, not sure uh, who is the christian and who is not the christian here how do you tell christians how do you distinguish how is the world supposed to look at us and determine whether or not we are saved now when jesus was asked that question he he didn't even pause In John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13, when he was asked, what does a Christian look like? He said this. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. For greater love hath no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. In John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus said this. He says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So the crowning mark, according to Jesus, of how you distinguish a Christian from someone who is not is by the way that Christian loves people. Now, I will tell you that while we know that in our mind, that is not always the image that we have exhibited in our world. In fact, I will tell you this and uh, this probably get me in, in some trouble with some of you, but as I look at the news reports and as I look at Christian people, and sometimes as I even look within myself at my own self, I find that, that uh, by our actions, we tend to think that retribution is more of a, the characteristic of a Christian than love and mercy is. We want revenge, and we want, uh, uh, we want to punish people as opposed to showing mercy and love and grace to people. Where did we get that idea? We didn't get it from Jesus. We did not get it from Jesus. Jesus was not a, uh, a, a person who believed in uh, uh, punitive, reco- uh, 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 punitive reciprocation. He, he did not believe in taking revenge on people and, and practicing retribution. Instead, his whole life in ministry was one of love and mercy. Let me ask you, how do you know a Christian when they walk down the street? Is it by the size of the Bible under their arm? Is that it? I love the Bible. I really love the Bible. But I'm going to tell you something. You you look at Jesus in the Gospels. The people that he loved the most, they were the people that the religious folks hated the most. The people that he gave the hardest time, some of you are not going to like me saying this, were the Bible thumpers of his day. Today, we think if you're a Bible thumper, if, we can, if I can show the world that I'm a Bible thumper, that they're going to think that I'm this great, holy, really righteous person. Guess what? Jesus would not think that at all. For Jesus, the person who was on the best road is the person who was loving people, and it was obvious that he or she loved them. Love is the chief characteristic. Well, in this text today, John teaches us, some of the qualities of the kind of love that Jesus wants us to exhibit. And I want to share with you four of those qualities. First off, real love does not allow for the hatred of others. And it continues to love in spite of hatred from others. This is a two two fork, a two two-pronged fork here. On the one hand, if you and I have genuine love, genuine love has no room whatsoever for hating anybody else. I don't care what color they are. I don't care what social class they come from. I don't care how big or little their job is. I don't care what their political persuasion is. I don't care what nationality they come from. Listen, all of that is irrelevant. True, genuine, Jesus kind of love loves people unconditional, period. Not only that, the other part of this prong here is this. Not only does love not have room for hatred, but love, that's genuine love, continues to love even when people out there that we're trying to love hate us back. Now, you and I both know that there are some folks in this world who hate Christians. And for no other reason other than we're Christians. They, they hate us. What are we supposed to do with that? Well, The natural inclination that most of us have is to hate them back. Except for Jesus had a problem with that. And he taught us that that is not what we could do. Now, so let me say this then. Real love does not allow for hatred of others. If we possess genuine love, we will not hate anybody. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus challenged a commonly held notion, and it's still commonly held, that we are to hate our enemies. But here's what he said. Are you ready for this? Are y'all listening to me? Here's what Jesus said. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to them who hate you. Pray for them who spitefully use you and persecute you. Why? So that. You may be the children of your Father who is in heaven, for your Father causes His Son to rise on the evil as well as the good, and He causes the rain to fall on the just but also the unjust." You see, with Jesus, there's no retribution theology. With Jesus, it's all grace, and it is mercy, and it is love theology. I'm not saying that God is not a just God. He certainly is, and He's a holy God, and He's a God who calls us to judgment. But but God is most often in the life of Jesus known as a God who loves people. If we possess genuine love, not only will we love And not hate, but we will respond lovingly to those who do hate us. I heard a story about Mr. Lee. Mr. Lee was terribly overweight, and so he went to his doctor, and his doctor put him on a diet. And here's the instruction that his doctor gave him. He says, I want you to eat regularly for two days, and then I want you to skip a day. And then I want you to repeat this process for two weeks. Eat regularly for two days and then skip a day. Do that for two weeks. And the next time I see you in two weeks, you will have lost at least five pounds. And so when Mr. Lee returned in two weeks, the doctor was shocked at his appearance because Mr. Lee had lost not five pounds, but 60 pounds. And the doctor said, man... That's amazing. Did you follow my instructions? And Mr. Lee nodded. Yes, I did. Follow your instructions. But he said, I'll tell you, though, I thought I was going to drop dead that third day. Guy said, why is that? Drop dead from hunger? He said, no, dropping dead from skipping all day. Let me tell you what genuine love does. It requires us to skip some things. I'm not talking about skipping meals. And I'm not talking about skipping. I'm talking about skipping over the potential for hatred. Skipping over some things that people do to us that hurt us. Skip over them. Now, I know that's, that's easier, easy for me to say, right? It's great. That's very difficult to do. I, I get that. It's hard for me, too. Listen, I'm not. Listen, Jesus didn't say, I want you to do this. I want you to love people who are unlovable if it comes easy for you. See, that's what I wish Jesus had said. Right. But that's not what he said. He said, you just love them, period. No ifs, no ends, no buts. The second thing that John tells us. In this about the quality of love is this. Real love is exemplified in the attitude and actions of Jesus. Verse 16, John says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. We ought to love our brothers and sisters because of the example set by Jesus. William Sloan Coffin, in his book, Who Needs Organized Religion, says this. He says, If Christ... If God is God's love in person on earth, then churches ought to be God's love in an organization on earth. If love is what it's all about, where are we going to celebrate this kind of love unless it is in community with loving people, i.e. church? He says, essentially what a church ought to be is a community of loving people who believe that our lives consist of an abundance Of love, not an abundance of possessions. Real love is exemplified in the attitude and actions of Jesus. Number three, real love expresses itself not only in words, but in actions. Verse 17, John says, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Man, that is an indicting question. Dear children, he says, let us love not with words or speech, but with actions and truth. Is it good to say, I love you? You better believe it. I love hearing Amanda say to me, I love you. I'd rather hear it from her or my kids. I love it. But when I come home in the evening, after I've had to put up with a whole bunch of church members, and I come in and I walk in that garage door and I smell baked sweet potatoes that have been in the oven for 55 minutes, brother. You know what that smells like to me? It smells like love to me love to me. She shows it by her actions, not just by her words. Christ's kind of love shows in words, yes, but even more so by our actions. Billy Graham said this. He says, love is not a vague feeling or an abstract idea. He says, when I love someone, I seek what is best for them. If I begin to take the love of Christ seriously, he says, then I will work toward what is best for my neighbor. I will seek seek to bind up the wounds and bring about healing no matter what the cost may be, Billy Graham. You see, love is an action verb. It's not a passive verb. It is an action verb. It has feet on it. It has arms with it that hug. It is an action verb. Number four, real love is based on truth that comes from God and is confirmed by the Holy Spirit. When you and I love the way Jesus is talking about and the way John is talking about, what happens is God loves through us. This is how you love people you don't like. This is how you love people who hate you is that God has to do it through you, and we allow Him to do it through us. But when we love people the way Jesus is talking about, God's Holy Spirit, who is within us if we're truly saved, if the Holy Spirit's not in you, you're just not saved. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit living within him or her. When we love the way Jesus is talking about, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that what we're doing is the right thing. There's a peace that comes on us. And that's God's Holy Spirit confirming that what we're doing is right. Listen, when the the Apostle Paul wrote the first letter to the church at Corinth, that church was in disarray. Are y'all listening to me? Are you listening to me? When the Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, that church was in disarray. They were fighting with each other divided into cliques in that church. It was in terrible shape. And the main reason was because they were in competition with each other. Well, my gift is better than your gift. I don't care what your gift is. My gift is better than your gift. And if you were as spiritual as I am, you'd have the gift I have. Well, that's not really right. I'm not exaggerating. That's what they were doing. And so Paul, he tries to help unify this broken church. And right in the middle of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he writes this chapter on the one thing they needed more than anything else. And it's called the love chapter. And we think that it applies to weddings. Now, it's all right. We can read it in weddings. That's fine. But let me tell you, when Paul was writing 1 Corinthians 13, he wasn't thinking about weddings. He was thinking about getting a church to love each other. And here's what he said. He said, if I could speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not love... I am nothing more than a resounding cymbal or a clanging gong. And he said, if I have the gift of of prophecy so that I could fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and and if I had a faith that could move mountains, but I don't love people, I'm nothing. He said, if I gave everything I had to the poor, and if if I delivered my body to be burned for a cause I believe in, and if I don't love, it profits me nothing. Then he goes on to describe, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not arrogant, it is not self-seeking, it does not dishonor others, it does not keep a record of wrong suffered, love does not delight in, in, in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. Love protects all things, trusts all things, hopes all things, pers- perseveres all things. Love never fails, he said. What do you say to a church that's tore all the pieces over competing with each other? You tell them to love one another. What does Jesus say? He said, love one another. Eugene Peterson said, no life of faith can be lived privately. There must be an overflow into the lives of others. (laughs) Y'all know I'm a Braves fan, right? And y'all know I haven't been happy in a long time. Yeah, I I am pleasantly surprised with the way they've started, but it's way early. I've liked nothing that's happened since the end of last season. And I realize they need to build up for 2017, but that makes me mad all over again, too, because they're not going to be down here in Turner Field. They got rid of Hayward. They got rid of Justin Upton. They got rid of Craig Kimbrell. I am a ticked-off camper. They got some new faces, new to us. Three of them were veterans. Jason Greeley, he used to be closer for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Then he went bad, and they decided he wasn't going to be a closer. So who's he closer for now? The Atlanta Braves. (laughs) We got A.J. Brzezinski. He caught for about eight different teams. He used to be super good. And when no team really wanted him, who's he playing for now? He's playing for the Atlanta Braves. And actually, he's doing pretty well. And then there's old Johnny Gomes. Listen, how, how can you lose with a name like Johnny Gomes? Is that not a baseball player's name? I mean, he is rough and tumble, straggly looking. If you're a second baseman and he's headed your way on the base path, get out of the way. Man's going to run you over. Johnny Gomes. He is a piece of work, man. And they interviewed Jason Greeley, A.J. Presinsky and Johnny Gomes at a Braves luncheon a week ago. People were invited to it. You had to pay money to be there. I wasn't there. But I heard about it. I saw the report on TV. Johnny Gomes was on there. And so they asked these three guys, among the other questions they asked him, they asked him, they said, how do you feel about being uh, brought to the Braves? And here's what Johnny Gomes said. He said, well, he said, I was a free agent. Nobody was calling. And he said, finally, John Hart from the Braves called. He was the only one who called. And he said, I just wanted to be wanted. And I thought, what an incredible statement. Here is a rough cut guy, rough as a cob. I mean, Ty Cobb reincarnated. And he's telling people, I just wanted to be wanted. Now, I I know that you know, if you've been following the Braves, that they got rid of almost their whole team over the summer, right? Y'all know that? Raise your hand. The rest of you need to wake up. So they asked Johnny Gunn, he said, I, he said, I, I was just, I, nobody was, t- was calling me, and John Hart called me, and he said, I just wanted to be wanted. And then he said this, he says, I wanted to come to Atlanta, but he said, I told John Hart he had to get rid of all the rest of the team before I'd come, and lo and behold, he did. You know what the person next to you wants? They may never tell you. They want to be wanted. You know what your neighbor down the street wants? They want to be wanted. You know what the chief role of our church is? Is to love people and let them know we want them. A church that actively lets people know genuinely that they want them, you can't kill that church with an atomic bomb. They're going to grow. Love is what? we are to be known for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these people have been awfully patient listening to me this morning. But Lord, what I had to say was perhaps the most important thing that you told us. That you wanted us to love each other. You wanted us to love people. And you even showed in the prime example on Calvary's cross what love looked like. God, help us to be lovers of people. Help us to be action-verb lovers. And Lord, I pray that people will be able to see it, not so that they can glorify us, but that they will come to know you and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.